2: And the Oscar goes to. Oh, thank you so much! This might be the one time I'm
0: speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope?
2: And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just
3: standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a top. I'm
0: the king of the
1: world! And the Oscar goes to. Yeah, the Oscar goes
2: yeah, and the Oscar two. goes to. And the Oscar goes
3: to.
1: My
2: only object is. Here is to try and get up with like a watch like this. He's looking at you, kid. Right there,
1: my dear. I don't give a could have been a contender.
2: Fasten
1: yourself. I could have been somebody.
3: They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me, Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, again.
0: The census taker once tried to test me. Are you not I ate his liver with some fatherly. Nice don't laugh! You can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV! On, I'm not falling
3: you love Twitter. It's time,
0: it's fast. Welcome
1: to the Next Best Picture Podcast.
3: Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 313 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.01 a.m. on October 2nd, 2022. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Dan Baer. Good morning, everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Will Mavity. Hello, hello, hello. All right, gentlemen, so the New York Film Festival, the 68th anniversary of the Film Festival, has kicked off here with the opening night film for White Noise. We're gonna talk a little bit about that and see how the reception over in New York has compared over to Venice, where it had its world premiere, and see if White Noise really is a contender in this year's Oscar race. We're also gonna talk about Till and Daniel Deadwyler's entry into the Best Actress race, and we got some trailers to talk about this week too, with Bones and All, which is also playing in New York, After Sun, ditto for New York, York, and Raymond and Ray, which is not playing in New York, but will be coming out soon from Apple TV+. We're going to go over to polls, we're going to answer some fan questions, but first and foremost, what has everyone been watching this week? We'll start off with Dan Baer, and Dan, uh, why don't we hold off on the NYFF films? Is there anything else on top of that, though, uh, that you've also been watching this week? Um, and if the answer is no, that's quite okay.
3: <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, has there been? I don't think so. I think all that I've watched this week has just been all niff all the time over here. Well,
1: press screenings for us do start like a week ahead of the festival, so it makes sense.
3: Yeah, it's there's been very little time for other things.
1: But we are making time today for something very special.
3: Sure. That that's one word for it.
1: Lyle Lyle. <laughs>
3: crocodile.
1: <laughs> the cinematic event of the year.
3: <laughs> oh god. I did see um exactly when we could go. I did see Don't Worry, Darling. Okay. Which I would have had more respect for if they had just called it. The Stepford Wives and build it as like a bold new version.
1: I'll tell you what movie this week I wanted to be at the screening for. Did you see this thread of all the crowd reactions for RRR over in Los Angeles?
3: Yes. And it made (gasps) me want to see that movie again with an audience immediately.
1: My Lord. I think there should be like a mandatory uh, re-release like once a month. Always.
3: Yep. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be fun. (laughs) i would go
1: make it like the room you know where it just becomes like this cinematic event almost like on the level of something like rocky horror picture show where it just has like this urban legend of these amazing midnight screenings that you could do with friends you know
2: well especially because the streamed version fucked up the translation right the netflix version yeah uh, yeah so you know it's the way it's meant to be seen is in theaters with the dialogue not destroyed exactly Mm -hmm. Well,
1: let's move on next to Josh Parm. Josh, what have you been catching up with this past week?
0: Yeah, so I was uh, – I managed to actually catch up with a good number of things throughout the week. Um, I did see Bros, which there's a podcast review of it. Very good movie. Had a lot of uh, good jokes and a fun time with it. So definitely would recommend you check out the podcast. And judging by the numbers this weekend, please go see the movie too. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely good well, I, don't, I don't understand why people are not showing up for this. It's really,
1: really distressing.
0: Yeah, honestly, I think it actually has more to do with just the state of romantic comedies right now, especially yeah. ones that don't have major stars in it. I, I really think that has more to do with it because that audience just, you know, gets it at home watch it on Netflix these days. That seems like that's where the most uh popular romantic comedies are now and it's hard to get people to go out to the theater but please go see it it's a good movie and deserves your support for sure uh i also caught up with smile the new horror film that just came out yeah and it's a good movie i don't want to oversell it that much because it definitely has a lot of things from other horror films you have seen before and you can kind of guess where the movie's going but at the end of the day it's still very well executed for, for what it is. So, very entertaining. Like I said, it's not amazing, but for a kind of nice horror film that is a good time, definitely worth seeking out. I, I think it is actually a pretty good film. Uh, what was not too good, though, is that I did get the opportunity to see Amsterdam.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: boy. oh, Oh, God. What an exhausting movie, mainly because it just... You It tries so hard, I feel like, to try to be interesting in its presentation, but it just came across as very lethargic to me, and everybody, for the most part, just was not really giving their all. I felt mm-hmm. Christian Bale was good. I thought that he was the only captivating performance, but everybody else was just very boring and the the plot for all its kind of twists and turns it wants to have just was not interesting at all and i'm not a a russell fan to begin with all that much but even for him i thought this was pretty poor
1: and even for Bale too for me like i did not feel like his attempts at doing like screwball comedy were really all that great like you could tell like there were some line readings where he was trying to like nail down the timing of them and something was just off in his delivery sometimes
0: it was very very odd it seemed just off in the entire presentation to be honest and yeah. i think that he was doing the best he could and maybe for that i gave him some credit but yeah i mean it's not like a great performance but it's not a good movie either so
1: here's what i will say about it though like as much as it's being panned by people right now watch out for that as like kind of a stealth makeup contender yeah, yeah.
0: yeah especially given that branch can Make some very weird choices at times. I, I wouldn't put it past them, but otherwise, yeah, I don't think this movie's going anywhere and it's nah. not very good and you shouldn't really see it when it does come out. Uh I also did get to see the new Rob Zombie Monsters movie. Oh my uh, gosh. gosh, I forgot that this came out. <laughs> I did too, you know, but I was just you know, going through Netflix and I saw it pop up there. It's like, oh, yeah, that did come out. And I decided to just check it out just to see what it was like. Uh, you know what? I didn't think it was terrible. It's not a great movie, but I also don't think it really had ambitions to be a great movie. it It is trying to be kind of low rent and very goofy and silly. And like with that objective in mind, it's not bad. I, I do think you have to look at it from that perspective. Like it's not supposed to be, <laughs> I think, a great movie to, mm. for sure. And it's not really based on great material. I don't really like the monsters all that much. Adam's yeah. family was always better. But having said that, like it, it's fine. I didn't think it was terrible. I was sort of expecting a train wreck and maybe that helped uh, my overall experience with it. But you know, it, it it's okay. It's not a travesty, but it's not that great. It's kind of forgettable at the same time. Uh, and then outside of that, I decided to do a deep dive of a bunch of Hellraiser movies in the lead-up to watching the <laughs> new one. Yes! So guess, uh, that is about to come out, <laughs> but I was able to actually get the opportunity to see the new one. And uh, the new one is very well directed, has some great scenes in it. I don't know if it added up to a whole lot, honestly, which um was a little disappointing, but it was still compelling for the most part. Like, like I said I think the story could be a little bit better. But I think for people that especially have, are familiar with the Hellraiser franchise and know that most of those movies are kind of terrible, like and almost unwatchable some of them this is a very very big step up so for that alone i would say it's it's
2: worthy of a look when it comes out on hulu
1: all righty well mavity we now kick it over to you
2: yeah i saw a smile like josh said and as josh said it is very derivative there's a lot in there from the ring it follows you know all kinds of other things but in terms of just watchability and enjoyability as a horror movie in October to see in a theater with audiences, it's a blast. You know, it's, um, if jump scares are your thing, there's like 30 of them. It is, uh, it is just relentlessly committed to making sure you have a good time watching it. And honestly, you know, that's what I was looking for. It, uh, it's not interested in subtext. It just has a literal trauma monster for its exploration of trauma. It's not, you know, it's uh. But I, I really enjoyed it, honestly. So it's uh, it's one of the more fun horror movies I've seen in a while. And then I saw Walter Hill's Dead for a Dollar. Uh, was a little let down by that one, honestly. I was really excited about seeing him back for something, and the idea of pairing Willem Dafoe and Christoph Waltz together seemed like a lot of fun. The aesthetics of this movie are horrible. You know, I, I, I don't know what the deal was, because obviously he's an experienced filmmaker, but it's this awful low-contrast co- cinematography and just dissolve transitions constantly. It's, you know, not just between scenes, but between shots. Very jarring. And it's, it's pretty unfocused. It wants to tackle a million different concepts. It wants to be a revisionist Western, but it's overstuffed with characters, and it doesn't really take the time to commit to any of them. And uh, when it gets to its big shootout, it's honestly pretty anticlimactic. So, you know, I wasn't expecting a masterpiece, but I was expecting something in the vein of The Long Riders or 48 Hours that I would enjoy, or The Warriors. You know, I've liked a lot of Walter Hill's stuff in the past. This really doesn't even live up to those expectations. So um, those were my big things. And then I saw Don't Worry Darling, like Dan mentioned. Yeah, it's... Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not it's not necessarily the outright disaster some have said. Yeah, but it's it's very derivative, and it's it's third act is so undercooked in terms of concepts.
1: That's my biggest complaint about it is that the third act is like this bombshell drop, and then it just ends. There's like no fervor exploration.
2: Right, right. They have this whole thing with like uh, this reveal with Jim Chan, and then it's like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Moving on. It's really bizarre. Yeah.
2: um, You know, I, I do think I was honestly a little disappointed. I was expecting Harry Styles to give one of those legendarily bad performances that people are just cackling at based on some of the reactions. Now, his scenes where he screams and yells are genuinely bad, but mostly he's just bland and uninteresting. So I was a little let down that it wasn't more of a comically awful performance based on how Twitter had reacted It's not good either, but, uh, you know, I I expected even worse. You wanted... uh, I wanted Tommy Wiseau.
1: Oh, I was thinking you wanted, like, Eddie Redmayne and Jupiter Ascending.
2: Yes, that would be so much fun to watch. I create life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's it. That's what I've seen this week.
1: All right, and I'll keep mine very, very simple. Um, I saw Smile, and I really loved it. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed this movie, because I thought it was going to be absolutely terrible now granted i saw only the teaser trailer for it so i went in with really no expectations whatsoever uh based on any of the other trailers that came out afterwards and for some bizarre reason just i know that the themes are repetitive and have been explored in other horror movies before but something about the way that this movie communicated them spoke to me on an emotional level and really really got to me i thought sozie bacon like was going all in on this performance too, which I really appreciated. Even when some of the people just around her I thought were pretty comical and bad with some of their dialogue. I mean, the dialogue is by far like the worst part of the movie, but also too, like it's unintentionally funny at times and I needed that levity because the jump scares, the dread and just the overall horror of this horror movie really unnerved me and disturbed me in a way that uh Will Mavity like texted me a, a photo of himself smiling directly into the camera after I saw the movie and I wanted to scream I I was so <laughs> I was so traumatized by this movie <laughs> um there's like one really really good effect too with the I don't want to call it a creature it, like the, like whatever it is in the third act but there's like a face peel off moment that is just so grotesque and awesome. I really, really loved like some of the fun Sam Raimi horror vibes. This movie was given off at times.
0: Yeah. And I think some of that also is practical effects because I saw the names uh, Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff jr. Which if you are into visual effects, you know that they are kind of legends in that industry and really do a lot of stuff practically. So I, I, seeing their names led me to believe that a lot of the effects we see in there were done in camera.
1: And I also caught up with some more documentaries. Um, I watched a documentary film called in her hands, uh, which focuses on uh, Zarifa uh, Ghaffari's uh, work over in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, she is the first female mayor uh, to ever hold uh, that position over there. And, um, it's a little undercooked, unfortunately, and I I, del- I thought the narrative focus was a little thrown off uh, by it all. It feels like half of a great movie about a very inspiring subject that I just wanted more out of, but it's just one of those cases where, um, obviously, the war in Afghanistan coming to an end and the departure of uh, U.S. troops from there clearly, I think, changed the trajectory of this documentary's narrative in a way that uh didn't make it as good as a mo- of a movie as I was hoping for and then another film that I uh caught up with in the documentary uh realm was a film that premiered at Telluride called Wildcat which is this really really raw vulnerable and emotionally affecting documentary about a um a veteran, a young, a young veteran, he's British and he's I think I think he's like 26 years old, but he's suffering from PTSD uh, really, really badly. Uh, v- constantly depressed and uh, has attempted to kill himself like multiple times. But he has found new purpose, uh, basically living in the Amazon jungle and taming uh, wild cats, you know, like little tigers and things like that. And it's very sweet, uh, but also at the same time, incredibly dark. Um, I, I would definitely issue a trigger warning for anyone who suffers from depression and watches this movie. It's kind of incredible uh, how much access he allowed into j- just the vulnerability of his of his personal life here. Uh, but at the same time, it was also uplifting, which I wasn't expecting given how dour it was throughout. Uh, so... One of those, like, really just emotional roller coasters of a documentary that uh, definitely left an impact on me. So I would urge people to check it out when it becomes available uh, through Amazon. All right, and let's move over to some NYFF talk. Uh, Dan and I have a lot to discuss here. Uh, We've both seen a collection of different uh, films, some of which I saw at previous festivals that Dan got to watch for the first time and some that were first time watches for us. But, Dan, I'll let you kind of lead things here and I'll chime in uh, as we go.
0: Tune in to hear from some of the all time great authors Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: So, I started my time at the New York Film Festival very inauspiciously uh, with Pacifiction,
1: which you, myself, and Tom O'Brien saw together.
3: <laughs> yeah, and had heard such good things about from Khan and also from Tiff and no, I don't, I don't know what everyone else saw being charitable. It is languidly paced and it it is, I will say it is beautifully shot, but it's like this sort of like it's in the French Polynesia. So like, of course it's going to look beautiful.
1: (laughs) This is another example of that TikTok meme of that girl going beautifully shot, beautifully yeah. shot. No, we we need the full three hours to tell this story. Like <laughs>
3: Oh god. It just so much longer than it had to be, so much slower than it had to be, so much more inscrutable than it had to be. I I I did not Care for it. It would have been fine because it does a very good job of like building tension and feeling like there's something, you know, bubbling underneath that's going to boil over soon. But when that moment happens, it is done so quietly and unassumingly that it didn't, even that didn't land and it didn't make it worth it for me. It, (sighs) <sighs> very, very frustrating watch. Also saw another one that I did not like very much, The Eternal Daughter, the new Joanna Hogg uh, film. And I think, Ooh. I think that's just like Joanna Hogg is not for me as a filmmaker. I just don't vibe with her style and... I can see where this was meant to be meaningful and how it could be meaningful for some people but it just did not work for me. Although like the atmospherics, the score, the cinematography, production design great. Jodie Swinton is good as always, but it the vibe was just it didn't it didn't work for me. I know a lot of other people it worked much better for.
1: I would have loved to have seen this movie in black and white because the kind of horror that it's evoking is more of a like 1950s, like classical horror style where it's more about atmosphere instead of jump scares and just creating um, a dark aesthetic through like the Gothic production design of the hotel that they're staying in. And then it's always foggy outside. Like I just would have really liked to have seen a black and white version of this. With that said, I agree. Tilda Swinton is good. She's playing a dual role in this and um, in terms of like the narrative story here, like if you take Joanna Hogg's personal life and put like kind of a meta spin on it with her, you know, relationship with her mother, I definitely think that there is some substance here. Uh, it worked for me. I I wouldn't say it worked as much as Souvenir Part Two, which I was really blown away by when I saw it at last year's NYFF. But this was still pretty good overall, and this is going to be releasing uh next year for May
3: twenty-four. Yep immediately after Eternal Daughter we saw a decision to leave.
1: Oh, one of my most anticipated of the year.
3: Yeah, w- although like for the first half of the movie I was kind of like really that's it? Like this is what people were getting so excited over at Khan and and TIFF and like everywhere.
1: It's it's really incredible that like even a lesser Park Chan-wook film in the first half still was like More entertainingly shot and conceived than like half of the movies I've seen this year. But I agree, like the first 20 or 30 minutes or so of this movie, I thought were very rocky. And I was not really vibing with it at first and was very surprised by how conventionally laid out it all was.
3: Yes. And it didn't lead, it didn't seem to be leading. It didn't seem to lead up to anything that was particularly interesting or different or that I would sort of expect from Park Chan-wook, even though the style of it is very, very cool and different and exciting.
1: Great editing transitions.
3: Oh my god, the editing transitions I lived for. The second half, though. <laughs> the second half, that's where we get the Park Chan-wook uh, twistiness and, oh my god, this totally delivered in the second half particularly by the end I think it's kind of brilliant Tang Wei maybe one of my favorite lead actress performances of the year I think she's completely brilliant
1: now that we've seen the movie though What do we think about the possibility of this being like the editing conversation, director, you know, other categories outside of international feature? Because I've been wrestling with that quite a bit since I saw it now.
3: Yeah, it's really tough to say. I would love for it to be in the editing conversation. I think it's impossible to watch this and not be impressed by his direction of it because that is so much of what makes it special. But. I don't know how big this is going to get on that front. It doesn't feel like a to me, it doesn't feel like a best picture play, which would have to go hand in hand with getting a foreign feature into director.
1: Well, maybe not necessarily. Remember Thomas Vinterberg?
3: Yeah, but yes. But that was clearly a runner up in the best picture race. Mm, Debatable. Well yeah, I think it was and and this I don't know, especially when you have like all quiet on the Western Front in that international best picture director conversation too and
1: a recap Bardo coming
3: yeah i don't I don't know yeah I don't know we'll we'll have to see how it plays out and how Academy screenings I think seem to go
1: definitely a contender for sure in my opinion, just not a surefire thing like I was thinking beforehand
3: yeah, exactly um Yesterday got to see the world premiere of Till yes which I really really liked. I think this is done so well. It is by no means an easy film to watch. It being about, you know, what it's about. But I think that Chinonye Chukwu, I think is how you pronounce the director's name. I'm sorry if I screwed it up, but There is a sensitivity to the direction that makes it impactful, but it sort of, it lessens the difficulty of watching it a little bit because of the style in which it's filmed. But it also is very much like, this happened, and we can't forget it. And you know there's a weird thing like the farther you get away from these sort of historical tragedies the the more difficult it is to recall how much it was how much it shattered the world when it happened especially if you weren't alive for it and i think this film does a really good job of bringing that feeling to the people watching without it being without it feeling like trauma porn
1: well the fact that she doesn't show the violent act in the movie i think helps a lot with that
3: i agree um they do show like everything but
1: (laughs) yeah no the lead up to it it's told from his perspective
3: i was shocked they they showed that that's really yeah they show the body which it Yeah, it's difficult to look at.
1: Also, at the same time, though, I mean, if any of us have ever picked up a history book in school, I mean, we've all seen the actual photographs, I'm sure, at some point or another, which are faithfully recreated here.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just Daniel Deadweiler, if she is not nominated for the Oscar, there is something wrong. And frankly, if she, if she doesn't win, the Academy is going to have a lot to answer for because this is this is like the good kind of Oscar bait. She delivers.
1: I uh, said to a friend of mine oh. after I saw the movie, I turned over and I just said, "I think we just saw the Best Actress winner because that performance was first of all because everyone's going on and on about Cape Blanchett." Right. Which is understandable because she's incredible in Tar. Mm -hmm. But Till is a movie I think that would play better for a broader audience where Tar is a much more cerebral art house like kind of film from Todd Field. That's one of the best of the year. And as a movie, I rank it higher than Till. But Deadweiler's performance, I think, is going to be more emotionally affecting for really, first of all, any mother. That's in the yeah. Academy. That's for sure. Like her performance captures the anxiety, the dread of for, like in the first act of just being even separated from your child and not knowing where they are, what trouble <laughs> they're probably getting up into. And even like as someone in their 30s, my own mother still to this day is always like, can you like share your location with me on your phone just so I know where you are? <laughs> like, like that never goes away. So I think that there's going to definitely be a stronger Connection to this performance. Uh, but the problem that I think Till is going to have is, and Clayton Davis was talking about this in Variety, and I completely agree with him, uh, is getting people to see it because there is yeah. a lot of apprehension about the subject matter. And also, too, Deadweiler is not a big name uh, other than the Harder Day Fall and a scene in Station 11. Like, I don't know many other things that people have necessarily seen her in. So, it's going to be tricky to sell the movie, but I think once people do see it, I think this is a performance for the history books because what she achieves in this really is awe-inspiring. Like my jaw was on the floor throughout multiple scenes of her, and when we get to like especially like the final courtroom scene, I I was just like, this, this is a winning, this is, this is literally a winning performance. Like this is to me the best chance that any black actress has had to win the Oscar since Halle Berry.
3: Yeah, she is absolutely incredible. I, the, yes. Like there is a lot, a lot of crying scenes and like, I, I don't think I will ever be able to unhear the sound that comes out of her when the, you know, her boy is delivered back to her. Oh my God, that scene.
2: <sighs> we, a little a little bit of a weird edit in the moment,
1: but I think it is meant to startle you and kind of jolt yes. you as, a, as an audience member. So it is deliberate, I get that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, her performance is, you know, working wonders to sell that moment incredibly well. And it's not just the crying, it's also, too, like the bravery, yeah. the strength and resilience that she shows, too, in the aftermath.
3: The resolve and how she grows into um being and you know a civil rights activist how she you know sort of defies all the men around her and you know goes against all the advice that she's receiving because she feels so strongly and it is all grounded in her you know her motherhood it it, it is an incredible performance i i i love it i love her i really hope That they're able to, because, like, she's not new. She's not, you know, a pretty young thing. So she's kind of in that weird spot where, like, it's not exactly like the, yes, this is the start of your long career that you're going to have, right? It's kind of like a Monique situation. But Monique was already, like, kind of famous before Precious. And Danielle Dudweiler is not quite on that level so they're really i think they really have to push her
1: i mean this is this would really be a case if she wins of the performance like objectively just being like that good that it's like undeniable yeah um and but it is that is that that is a tough uphill battle for anyone to fight in the oscar race it needs i was gonna say will like what whatever nomination do you think it could get besides her that could help that cause
2: yeah, so I it really needs obviously some more nominations to guarantee people will see it, and I, I do think its best shot is adapted screenplay, and because pe- do we know it's adapted? Well, so people keep asking this on Twitter: is it adapted or is it original? The film, all, all I will say is the film is co-written and produced by. Um, a guy who previously directed a documentary on Emmett Till's murder and the subsequent trial, and then um, based on that documentary, wrote a screenplay that then Shinone Ch- Chuck. Chinonwe Chukwu. Um,
1: We're we're all going to struggle this year. Yeah. You could say the director of clemency.
2: (laughs) The director of clemency subsequently adapted that screenplay further and did a pass on it. So I think probably just like the Academy did with Loving, where they decided that the documentary, which that film pulled some dialogue directly from, turned it into adapted. I think that's probably sufficient to get this qualified as adapted. Like... The director of that doc is a co-writer on this film. So I I lean towards yes, since they tend to be stricter on what's adapted and what's original. Unfortunately, if it is deemed original, I don't think it's gonna get in. That's a stronger category. Mm-hmm. So then it it looks at song, maybe, and but is that enough to guarantee voters watch it to see her? I think it really needs that screenplay nomination.
3: I'd actually really love for it to be considered for costumes, too, because the costumes are, are
2: excellent. Mm-hmm. The score is really I mean, the score is heavy, it's but it's pretty moving. Uh, I, I like that a lot, too. And
3: it's. I funny. was
1: like listening to the score throughout. I didn't know who did it. And then when I saw when the movie was over, I'm like, oh, it's the guy that did Nocturnal Animals. I was like, that makes sense.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, of course, it, it would be Abel Krasniewski.
1: Because <laughs> it is like just such a very heavy presence in the movie, so much so that it almost... It kind of annoyed me at times because I thought that there were some moments that could have just used a lighter touch, but yet he's going all out with the strings and, like, just going ham on the score that it's impressive, but I was wondering if it was matching sometimes what visuals were on the screen, but that's okay. I, I, I do think that there is a case to be made there. And also, too... I don't know. Like I, I I highly doubt this is going to happen, but I was thinking about the universality of this story, especially like, you know, from a mother to a child and how just emotionally uh impactful, rousing and powerful and inspiring too uh it was because like you said Dan, like her resolve is just so so like it, you it, it leaves such an impression on you when it's over that I kept asking myself, maybe, maybe there's a world where even with a low nomination count, maybe it pulls something like a Selma or the Post, you know, and it just gets in the picture with like one or two other nominations, like just barely.
3: I could see it when people see it. I do think they're going to be, if not in by it ex- exactly Then, like very moved by it and we all know that that kind of passion is what wins and gets nominations so
1: but i mean in terms of her in this race i, I you know i don't know like listen it's still early there are arguments to be made for everybody but mm-hmm. i put her at number one right now i know that michelle yo's got a great narrative Kate Blanchett is delivering really impressive work that I'm sure the critics groups are going to like eat up and go for yep. But what Deadweiler is doing here, I think is just, it, it. it's one of those performances where it just feels right. It just feels right yeah. to be the winner of this category. Uh, not just because it's working for me personally, but because I think this is the performance that's going to work for the most Academy voters. Yeah, Will, where do you have her in your rankings?
2: Uh, as of now, I have her at three. Uh, but obviously, I, on merit alone, I mean, I think she she should be higher. It's an extraordinary performance. I just need to see how the film's going to be campaigned and how it's going to be seen. So do we know distribution? I know UA put this out. Does that mean Amazon's going to be handling it? And. I know that they're working in
1: tandem a lot this year, so it'll be interesting to see. I think later on in the season, potentially, but right now, as far as I'm aware, it's UA and Orion that's uh, handling this.
2: Well, I wish her the best. She she really is extraordinary, and she deserves lots of awards attention this year.
1: <laughs> and Josh, just as an outsider who hasn't seen it yet, uh, what is like your
0: perspective on all of this? I mean, I do definitely think that she's a very strong contender based on the word I've been hearing about her in the film. I do have similar concerns about how well it will fare in other categories and also how it will be received, because I can just tell you that anecdotally, I told my mom that this movie was coming out and she had a lot of resistance in wanting to see this movie, I think, for understandable reasons. and. I I do wonder about that question, too, that it might be a good movie with this incredible performance. But, you know, that subject matter can be very prickly for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And if there's not enough to, like, kind of sustain it in a box office sense and it is very limiting in terms of its outreach, I think that will impact all of its award chances, too.
1: I saw somebody on social media yesterday asking for opinions from people who had seen it. And when one person answered and gave what what I thought was the truth, uh, which is that you know the the violent uh, lynching of Emmett Till is not shown in this movie, and it's really told primarily from Ted perspective, the person was still going around and still asking other people. It, it it's like it's like they almost couldn't believe that this is the case, and they just needed more and more and more validation to bring themselves to be able to see it, you know, so that hesitation is going to be extremely prevalent and understandably so.
0: Yeah, that is the big concern that I have about this movie, because I do think there's a lot of people that just sort of on principle alone just don't want to see this movie tackle this subject matter. But I will give
1: also the film's producers a lot of credit here and the way that they're positioning this movie as an educational tool for Students, I know NYFF was organizing uh, numerous screenings for uh, high school students to see the movie. So like in that regard, I, I like appreciate the direction that they're taking this in to uh, treat it as something that, yes, it's terrible, but we should not shy away from it. And it's a very important mm-hmm. uh, history tool that, as Dan said, like should not be forgotten about.
3: And I do think, like, the screenplay is very smart in that it kind of embeds that question into the movie. It is questioning her actions and what she's doing all the way throughout. In the way of, like, should she do this? Can she do this? And there's a lot—there is a conversation— that she has with one of the family members from Mississippi, who is, uh, has come up for the funeral and tells her like we're 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 leaving we're moving up north now because of what happened and she just keeps she says um, I I can't I can't look back and Mamie looks her dead in the face and says we have to and I think that's very much this film's ethos like you may not want to look back on this and that's understandable but if we're going to move forward as a society we have to we cannot forget
1: all right uh moving on from this really quick i want to go through some other nyff titles that i was able to catch up with this week
3: triangle of sadness yes
1: we got to mention triangle of sadness (laughs) because It's just continuing to play super well, I think, in uh, all these large audience settings. I am a little concerned about how it's going to just play for the general public when it opens up this weekend because it is a little long. Uh, It does lose a little bit of steam as well after the second act, which is definitely its big showcase moment for it. And the high point of the movie, in my opinion, in terms of just how outrageous it is. It's hilarious. But the screenplay is, I think, still pretty fun that it could land in the screenplay race. And Dolly DeLeon just dominates the third act of this movie so much that I definitely think that she's a supporting actress contender. And I think Neon is very well aware of that, too, as they're highlighting her more now on the trail for this movie.
3: I mean, she got several applause rounds during the the middle of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) At the, uh, the NIF premiere last night. She's great. This movie is so much like go see this with an audience, see it with a crowd. It is such an experience.
1: It really is, for sure. It's it's wild. Um What else did I see? My gosh. Saint Omer, uh, the French selection this year for international feature. Uh I'll just say really quickly, it's a very confident narrative feature debut from documentary filmmaker Alice Diop. Really like the performances in this. Uh, also, Claire Maffin's uh, cinematography I thought also helped, although I wouldn't say it's anywhere near as beautiful as Portrait or uh, Spencer. There's some stuff going on like with like the stuff inside the courtroom I thought was extremely riveting because it almost feels like it plays out in real time at points, and that really helps with the performances. But then there's a lot of scenes outside of the courtroom that, it, for me, just weren't as gripping as what was going on inside. So it's... Good. I wouldn't say it's great. I don't think it's going to win international feature if it gets the nomination. Ultimately saw master Gardener, which is the third film from Paul Schrader in this man in a room trilogy with first reformed and the card counter. And for me, it's my least favorite of the three. <laughs> um, Once again, like I looked at like the Venice reviews from some people and I was like, what hold does Paul Schrader have over people (laughs) that he is (laughs) commanding like all these really positive reviews here? Uh, I just thought the themes were very repetitious. Uh, There's so much that's left unexplored and mishandled thematically. There's unintentionally cringe dialogue that can only come from an out of touch older man. And that's why we love Grandpa Paul. A record <laughs> but there's also just some sloppy filmmaking in this too that uh was really just surprised by i mean say what you will about the card counter there are some very interesting stylistic flourishes in this in that uh there's none of that to be found here in my opinion outside of like there's this one like surreal driving scene through um like a road that has all of this like gardening and like you know greenery around it. And then it starts blooming through like visual effects. So it like, Oh, it, it, but it look, but it looks really bad. So, um, Joel Agerton, Sigourney Weaver, Quintessa Swind Swindwell, who I thought was pretty good in this, their performances give it life and energy. And that is ultimately what got me through the movie. But yeah, definitely disappointed by that one. And finally, uh, I watched white noise, which was the first screening that this movie has had uh, since Venice, where it had its world premiere. It was the opening night film there, opening night film here. And uh, this being the North American premiere, there were quite a lot of people that were anxiously awaiting this who didn't get a chance to go to Venice. And it is the most unusual and unlike any other Noah Baumbach film that he's ever done before. It is so strange But yet, in a boldly exciting way, because it's such uncharted territory for him, stylistically, thematically, that I never knew where it was gonna go because he was just trying so many new things with this that were just so different than any. Like, if Marriage Story was like a perfection. Of all the things that he had done before, then this was just him saying, okay, like, I'm done shooting in that kind of style. I'm done scripting dialogue in that sort of style. I'm done, like, just, you would th- you would think this was done by a completely different filmmaker. And for me, that's what, like, got me through it because there were times where I think the movie's trying to do way too much. It's very, very messy. Uh, there is a theme that I was able to finally latch onto, And luckily, it's the strongest theme of the entire movie that it's really primarily built around, which is the fear of death. And that helped get me through it. Ultimately, uh, Driver and Gerwig are both pretty great in it. Like they have some really funny scenes and they're both giving very unusually like weird performances. Uh, Gerwig, I think especially she has this one monologue. Uh, Between her and driver like in in a room together where she reveals um, uh, something, something, something's a driver. Uh, I think that was like her Oscar clip moment and she was fantastic in it. Uh, But the real star of the movie for me is Danny Elfman and his score.
3: (laughs) Nice. It it is
1: the kind of score that I would hope that they are able to build a narrative around the fact that he's never won an oscar and they can somehow push that through to a win for him because i do think it is win worthy work uh lo Coralli's camera work who i'm a very very big fan of um highlighted like the production design which i also thought was a standout here there's like some bold use of colors that Bomback has been known to use in the past but the set pieces were more grander this time around uh so overall like it is a very, very odd movie, but that's exactly what makes it so thrilling to watch.
0: Mm, interesting. That you, uh, yeah. It's also interesting that you think that Danny Elfman is doing like winworthy work there. Uh, that's surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm ready for him to be back with something very interesting. It's been amazing, yeah. so mm-hmm. and the
1: end credits song, which plays out over uh, a choreographed dance number over the credits is by LCD Sound System, and it's got kind of like this White Stripes, Red Hot Chili Peppers vibe to it that's like, you know, like a fun rock song. Did, did any of you listen to it? They just released it this week.
3: No, waiting for to see it in the movie.
1: Yeah, I am, too. I did the same thing. I didn't listen to it until I saw it in the movie, but it works really, really well. And they're bringing him around as well for it. So, like, they're trying to push for an original song nomination. So I love like, that. when I started, like, kind of tallying all this together in my head, I was thinking to myself, like, Noah Bombach could break into adapted screenplay on the same, like, way that Paul Thomas Anderson got in for something like Inherent Vice. I think that they're going to just admire that this was such a tricky novel to adapt it's
0: the same author isn't it (laughs) coincidentally you mentioning that oh no no it's um, different that was thomas uh was it yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah that That was thomas kinch right 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 yeah Mm -hmm. they're just two writers that i don't really like that much (laughs) (laughs) so i think that that's a possibility
1: and you know it's like when you start like putting things together here like maybe it gets in for score maybe it gets in for the song Maybe Gerwig gets into the, to the supporting actress race. I mean, like, is picture possible? It's a very interesting question to ask, especially at this stage, because it doesn't seem like Netflix has a outright primary contender for best picture this year. Mm. You know, All Quiet on the Western Front is a technical marvel, but Edward Berger is not, you know, Alfonso Cuarón. Uh, Then you have Bardo, which is still getting all these mixed responses from people. Glass Onion, I mean, the first film didn't get in for picture. So that's an uphill climb as a sequel in and of itself. So that's kind of like in wait and see mode. And now with this, it might just be too weird for Academy voters to fully go for it. So I don't know where this is all heading for them. But it's very, very interesting that we don't have a sure thing with them this season. All right, and now what I want to do is I want to talk about the trailer for uh, two NYFF films and a non-NYFF film. The first one up is *Bones and All* from Luca Guadagnino, starring Timothy Chalamet, Taylor Russell, and Mark Rylance. This is going to be released in theaters on November 18th. Let's take a look and let's give some thoughts.
2: You know, thinking I'm a bad person. You look like the kind that's convinced himself he's got this under his thumb. He may be. But you pull on one little thread and I'm ready.
1: Okay, so for those who have not seen it, what did you think of the trailer? <laughs>
2: oh my it's... god, I love the the Leonard Cohen needle drop in there. If you want it darker. That's so it's good. It's perfect. It's perfect.
1: I, I did have some PTSD flashbacks to the opening credits of True Detective while watching it, but yes, it was still a lot of fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, looks like a good mood setter for sure. And I am much more interested in this movie now. I thought that this was a pretty well done trailer. I completely agree. I know some people
1: were talking about how it didn't feel like it captured the tone of the movie. I disagree with that a bit. It's highlighting the sexiness, the allure, the darkness, (laughs) while also showing that it is this cannibal, violent road movie with this love story at its center Uh, um, i think the thing that people are gonna really get a kick out of the most especially like you will and josh rv character actor uh i don't want to say cameos but like a lot of people show up for only one scene in this movie except for mark rylance who i think is in like three scenes three scenes yeah but like andre holland chloe savini uh david gordon green michael stuhlbarg oh They all, like, completely, no pun intended, devour uh, their moments in this movie.
3: Stuhlbarg is so unrecognizable (laughs) that in the press screening, after he had been on for a little while, someone in the front literally went, Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it's great. And also because, like, the most twisted call me by your name reunion you can possibly imagine between him and Timothy Chalamet. I
1: saw so many people joking that uh, it's a call me by your name reunion, but without the one person who it would have actually been perfect for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot to admire in this movie, despite how uh, strange it will be. I mean, the, you know, when you have Timothy Chalamet leading your film, like you, I think it's immediately going to get somewhat of an audience to go and see it because he has such a legion of fans. Uh, but this is oh, this is uh, it, it, I hope people know what it is when they go to see it. And also at the same time, I hope <laughs> yeah. that they don't because yeah,
0: I, I kind of lean on people not knowing what it's about. <laughs> yeah. When they go to see the movie
1: because I mean, the first time that there is a, a violent act in this movie, it takes you by surprise. It and does. It's very startling. Um, The music by Atticus Ross and uh, Trent... uh, Sorry, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross (laughs) uh, is also, like, you know, no surprise. They never really miss, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to admire
3: here. Yeah, and the thing about this movie that I was most surprised by is that it's funny.
1: Mark Rylance's performance is definitely going for something.
3: (laughs) Mark Rylance is on another plane of existence in this movie. I do think that the film, like, overall, has its, like, tongue firmly in its cheek a lot, and no pun intended, but it works. It really, really worked for me anyway, and his performance I'm (laughs) completely obsessed with.
1: Yeah, it's a performance I think that is going to divide some people because of how bizarre... It is, but I think unlike something like, say, Don't Look Up, where he also was going for a very Mm -hmm. off kilter type of performance, the vibe of it fits in a lot better here because he is meant to be weird, creepy and strange. Yeah, exactly. Where in Don't Look Up, it was like for pure comedy, where here, like any moments of comedy are kind of like rooted in character and like Mm -hmm. a lonely sadness of that character, too. Uh, which I really, really appreciate. He brings to life so, so well. Um, and Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet are great together in it.
3: Yeah. Iconic duo. OTP for sure.
0: Man, I just. Everything I have heard about Mark Rylands really makes me actually the most interested to see the movie. And even though he's not in it for very much, just everything I've heard, I, I just need to see that performance right now.
3: I imagine I have already started quoting some of his lines to each other on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. It's so good.
1: Because he also has like this sovereign droll that he tries to do too with it. Great. So it's the Mark Rylands like high pitch, you know, kind of register. Combined with that, and I'm not going to reveal any lines, no. but yeah, it's.
2: I saw uh, Chris Evangelista, I think it was, tweeted saying, I think it's cool how Mark Rylance tried out a weird voice in Ready Player One and then just decided to do it forever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so true. So, so true. Yeah. You know, one thing that I actually could see, though, with this particular movie, and I, I, listen, I get it. I understand that there's probably no Sean the Academy ever touches this movie. No. But, but, with Adapted being as weak as it is right now, I actually do think that there is a case to be made for this landing in the Adapted screenplay race. Because one thing that the movie gets right very, very well, in my opinion... Is setting up the rules for the cannibals and then really sticking to them throughout the movie. And it's something that I think helps to give it like an otherworldly quality to it that is grounded within reality still. And I just really, really appreciated that aspect of it.
3: Yeah, it's a people are going to see this because of Timothy and Luca and just the reviews that it got out of Venice. I don't know that it's going to be huge, but if it garners the level of conversation that I think it will. Yeah, I do think Adapted Screenplay is probably its most likely nomination.
1: All right, let's move over to another film that's playing in NYFF, uh, and that is After Sun, which is starring Paul Meskel and Frankie Curia. Uh, It is being released by 824 also on November 18th and premiered earlier this year at the Cannes Film Festival, played over at Telluride, TIFF, now in New York. Let's take a look at the trailer. Let's give some thoughts on this one. I love you.
2: Love you.
3: It certainly looks beautiful.
1: Yeah, Charlotte Wells, the writer-director of this, is a protege of Barry Jenkins, so uh. stylistically, it's kind of like following in the same footsteps as his sensibilities as a filmmaker at times. Um, I, I I did get a chance to see this movie a, a, a little while ago uh, during uh, Telluride, and I got to admit, like I fell victim to being a little overhyped for it. I still thought it was good, but the way people were making this sound out of can, like I, it, it instantly became like one of my most anticipated movies of the whole year based <laughs> on some of the reactions. I think it will work better for some of you. Like Josh, I think you're really going to love this. Will, I think you might be maybe similar to me. Uh, but there's one thing I think that we can all agree on. And that is just Paul Mescal is the real deal. And I think we've been saying that for mm-hmm. a while now, but like, this is just another, another repeated reminder of how talented he is and he he's eventually going to get that one role i think that's going to catapult him into that star quality like leading man status uh but for now like just watching him like appear in all these uh, independent films and critically acclaimed films and just like knocking it out of the park each time it's really 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 good
0: yeah i i am definitely still looking forward to seeing it I do want to say, though, I've heard a lot of comparisons to Come On, Come On, which was a movie that was kind of an outlier on. No, uh,
1: listen, listen, if anything, I, I actually prefer Come On, Come On. So that's another reason why, Josh, I think you're going to like this, because I don't think that this is like Come On, Come On.
0: All right. Well, then that gives me a little bit more hope then. <laughs> Sorry to the Come On, Come On fans. But um, yeah, I was not quite as enamored with that one. So hearing that, Matt, does make me feel a lot better. I- I'm still very much looking forward to it. And yeah, as you said, Paul Moscow, great actor, deserving a, lo- a lot of opportunities now.
1: It's a lot more <sighs> hmm. unsentimental. Okay. And it the way that it like reflects and looks back on these moments uh, as charlotte wells is doing here uh looking back on her relationship with her father it's just done in a sort of way that is i i don't like it's interesting because like i said i got a different vibe from it than other people did so when i think about what other people have said about it and how it spoke to them on such a personal level i i think that's what it is i think you just need to see it for yourself and determine if it's working for you on that same personal level or not
0: Hmm. Well, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And our final trailer here is for Raymond and Ray. Uh, This is from Apple TV and is going to be uh, coming over to theaters and on the streaming platform on October 21st, starring Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke playing brothers here from director Rodrigo Garcia, who has, um, well, let's just say like not the kind of filmography that I typically have gravitated towards over the last couple of years. But we'll get to that more in just a minute. So let's take a look at the trailer. We'll give some thoughts.
3: Our father is dead. His last wish was that his sons attend his funeral. We don't have to go. He's dead. He'll never know. You're a very tender man, you know that?
0: Okay, your father's last will.
3: It was his wish that you dig his grave.
2: What? It looks fun. I mean, I, I like both of those actors a lot. I'll be interested to see how it ends up working tonally. Uh, Ethan Hawke playing a uh, trombone again, throwback to Born to be Blue. uh, (laughs) Trumpet, Trumpet, not trombone. Yeah, Yeah, but still. Trumpet back in uh, 2015. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it looks looks pleasant. It doesn't seem like it's going to be that substantial. Has anyone
3: seen it yet? I have. And... It honestly was a lot better than i expected. <laughs> um i kind of thought it was delightful. It it definitely has like that kind of like quirky indie comedy vibe, but it's also, you know, about a pair of brothers burying their father. Um so it it ha- it balances this sort of Comedic and more dramatic moments, I think, really well. I think it's Rodrigo Garcia's probably his best film to date. Like, not that there's a whole lot of competition for that, but I do think this one worked for me much better than certainly his most recent films have.
1: That's very encouraging because, like I said, I have not been a fan of his output over the last couple of years, pretty much at all. So, I was really nervous about this, and it was the reason why I skipped it a TIFF. So to my anger and frustration when Dan and Nicole both saw it and thought that it was actually pretty good, I was very, very yeah. annoyed. <laughs> but at the same time, watching this trailer here, even Hawk looks like he's doing, uh, you know, reliably good work as he usually does. Ewan McGregor, same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, like, the main draw here at the end of the day.
3: Yeah, although really – the best performances in this are as uh, Sofia and Maribel Verdú.
1: Oh, that's nice to hear.
3: Mm. They uh, they put a lot of personality into the characters and really make them sing in a way. Like even though they're supporting roles, they feel really fully fleshed out and like vital parts of the movie. Um, I, I was I'm really a fan of the whole ensemble. They work really, really well together.
1: All right. Well, we'll uh, hear more about that, obviously, in a few days' time, as that's coming out pretty soon here. And let's move over now to the polls. Uh, We asked everyone for last week, which movies do you think will be nominated for Best International Feature Film? So, Will Mavity... Where are you at right now on your international feature film predictions? What are your top five?
2: Yeah, uh, it will be easier once I've seen more of them. But uh, based on the hype, obviously all quiet on the Western front, decision to leave, seem like big players. Um, I, I need to see Holy Spider still, but now that Denmark has officially picked that as their submission, And uh, it it seems certainly timely with a lot of what's going on in the world right now. It seems like that's one that could factor in. Um, I think close from Belgium probably Mm -hmm. can sneak in. That seems like one that'll hit uh, an emotional streak in some voters. Uh, For what remains, I don't know. I mean, Mexico officially submitted Bardo. That film's clearly very divisive. We don't know what it's going to be like once Ineritu cuts 20 minutes out of it. Uh, maybe it lands better with substance screenings. And he is a big name. And, and I'm sure Netflix will still push that. So maybe that shows up. Um, Corsage has its supporters. Um,
1: I was wondering what you were predicting.
2: <laughs> I, I See, I don't know. I'm, you I'm have playing. the predictions in front of you. I'm looking at them, but I had Saint-Omer in that spot. But based on what you've said, it's not necessarily something i'm going to keep it
1: all right so you're changing on the fly i get it
2: yeah <laughs> all right
1: josh parham what about you what are you currently predicting today
2: um i i have a lot of
0: uh the things that will already said like you know decision to leave all quiet on the western front i i do think close actually might be a bigger threat than we are giving it credit yeah. for just because it does yep. get people very emotional i i would actually think that is a threat to win to be honest. So I have it in there. I do have St. Omer uh, just because I do think word on that is still pretty strong. And the other one that hasn't been mentioned already is I I do have EO getting in.
3: I, Josh, I have that in my fifth spot right now. Yeah, it it is completely unlike anything else you're going to see this year. Mm -hmm. All right, Dan, what about you? It's those five. I have decision to leave close, all quiet, and I actually do have Bardo still in there yeah look, count that out the academy has a hard on for Alejandro Gonzalez and Yari too I I would be shocked if it didn't make the lineup
1: alright I think I have like the most I I guess different lineup than everybody else here Uh, I do have Bardo decision to leave an all quiet on the western front for obvious reasons but then beyond that, the two other films that I have in here are Boy From Heaven, which won the Screenplay Award over at Cannes. And then the fifth slot is a movie I saw way back at Sundance that I feel like a lot of people have forgotten about uh, called Klondike, which is Ukraine submission this year. Mm, yeah. Mm. So I would not underestimate Ukraine possibly factoring in, in this year just based on sentiment, but also, too, it's a very, very impactful and harrowing film with a gut punch of an ending. That's also speaking to the Russian Ukrainian war right now. So I think it's going to, I mean, you can't help with everything that's going on, watch it and not have it leave uh, quite a impression on you. So,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah. to be honest, I think anything Ukraine submitted this year would be under heavy consideration.
3: Yeah. Hmm. I have my eye on that one. And also on Argentina, 1985.
0: hmm.
1: Yep. Let's see what the MVP film community voted for uh, at number 10 from Ireland. We have The Quiet Girl, hmm. which I have not seen yet. And then number nine, we have Corsage. Okay. Which I know IFC is definitely uh, pushing hard for, uh, especially because of uh, Vicky Creep's involvement with it.
3: I love that poster so much. <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> yeah. Great.
0: One of the year's best posters.
1: Yeah. Number eight is EO from
3: Poland. Mm -hmm. Yes. that donkey. Oh, that donkey.
1: Number seven is Argentina, 1985 from, you guessed it, Argentina. Yep, there you go. Number six is Holy Spider from Denmark.
3: I would love it
1: if that got in so much. I hope it does. I really, really enjoyed the hell out of that movie. It's so good. Every time I hear of a title for it, though, I always think of the Dio song. Holy Spider. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Number five, St. Omer from France. Number four, Bardo from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Number three, close from Belgium. Yeah. So pretty high up there. Yeah. And number one and number two by a difference of four votes. All quite on the Western Front from Germany at number two and decision to leave from South Korea at number one.
0: Yep that that sounds about right.
1: Yep. All right, and then for this week's poll for the release of Tar starring Kate Blanchett, we are asking everyone which is your favorite Kate Blanchett performance. Tar is on the list for those who have been lucky enough to have seen it at Venice, Telluride, and this week's Tomorrow at MYFF. And then it's releasing in theaters on Friday. So if you haven't voted on the poll until then and are seeing it, by all means, head on over and cast a vote here. Uh, but Will Mavity, which performance from her stands out to you the most?
2: Yeah, it's a tough call. I do think I'm probably partial to her work in Blue Jasmine. That's just such a memorable character. And she, you know, it, it is difficult to make. Someone who is so morally flawed and such a profoundly unlikable person. So watchable. Um, I find her very moving in a lot of stuff. I love her in Carol too, but I, I think Blue Jasmine is probably my favorite.
1: Yeah, I'm going to echo that. Blue Jasmine is definitely the highlight for me. Uh, it, I, I very, very rarely like see an, a, a performance of a woman unraveling the way that she does and like you said will uh, if it's not based like in the horror movie realm like it usually to me is not like I don't know it's just not executed well enough but this was one of those cases where her performance just completely blew me away back when I saw it I mean the movie around her is fine but her
0: performance just absolutely makes it Josh how about you
2: I do think that
0: Blue Jasmine would be my pick. But just to say something else, I also love her in Nose on a Scandal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of people remember Judy
1: Dench a lot in that. But, like, she's really, really fantastic.
0: Yeah, they're both great. But, oh, my God, just just the live delivery of Virginia friggin' Wolf. Like, for me, till the end of time.
3: Dan Bear? Um, Yeah, it's hard. To say anything other than Blue Jasmine, really, it's incredible. I mean, she deservedly swept that year. But just to say something different, like Josh, I am going to say I'm not there, which I think is kind of genius.
1: And also, too, I'll just say for the record, I think Tar is her best performance to date. And if there are any it. people out yeah, there that want to vote it. for that performance without even having seen it yet, I, I don't think you would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so by all means, feel free to cast a vote for Tar. You do get three choices on this week's polls, so don't hesitate to do so.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure that once I see it, it will probably be in my top three for her.
1: Yeah, I, I would be shocked if it wasn't. Okay, and then uh, questions from the fans for this week. Let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us here.
2: Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... Akshat Divala, with Netflix
1: not showing any signs of prioritizing All Quiet on the Western Front just yet for Best Picture, we're in a situation of limbo where we don't know uh, what they're going to do. Do you think there's a world where they just stick with Bardo and try to push it into director and picture until the very end?
3: I think it depends on what the reaction to the new cut is. I agree. Although they did screen it
1: for a couple of people, I wasn't able to go to that screening, and I did hear it played better. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I don't really know where Netflix is at the moment. I, I think truthfully, I, I think that's a question that they are trying to answer as well. It seems yeah. like they're just waiting to see once we get through the, the festival cycle, what really is landing with people. And it feels like they're just going to go from there. Adam
1: Clay asks, of the remaining movies this year that haven't gone to any film festivals, are there any that you think could be a last minute world premiere at AFI Fest? Well, I oh. mean. Babylon,
2: <laughs> Yeah, Babylon. But then obviously, uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but, you know, there, is it going to be Emancipation? Is it going to show up? We, mm. we, who knows? They screened it uh, yesterday for the I think a NAACP audience. Remains to be seen if Apple TV is actually going to try to put that out this year. But I guess that's possible.
1: It was really hilarious being in front of Clayton Davis in the moment when the news of that screening dropped and you just saw him whip out his phone. And I don't know who he was texting. I don't know what he was doing, but you could just see the machine at work right then and there (laughs) because it was a surprise to all of us uh, when we saw it in Emancipation screened. It was not uh, I don't think any kind of official like critic screening. I think it really was a uh, not even a test screening, but something a special uh, screening. Yeah, it took place in Washington, D.C. Will Smith was present. And I'm very, very sorry to everyone at Apple. I still think that this was the wrong move to release this film. I don't I don't think people are over the slap yet. I don't think, you know, even with the punishment from the Academy and the apology video, I don't think people have moved on from it.
0: Well, we still don't have confirmation of where it's, can, uh, when it's going to be released yet?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The I mean, the person who first posted the the video of Will Smith speaking says that they're still sticking to 2023 when someone asked if they were doing a December release. So, I you know maybe this genuinely was. They haven't decided, and they put this out there to test the. To waters. be fair, too,
1: that could also mean we're releasing it. You know, in limited release in New York and L.A. on Christmas, and it's going wide in January of 2023.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We we just don't know yet. We don't have confirmation is, is the key right now.
1: Yeah. Oscar Odyssey. Why are so many people moving Margot Robbie to supporting actress when there's been no announcement from Paramount? Is this just a desire to simplify the Best Actress race? Babylon also already supposedly has a notable supporting actress contender in Gene Smart. Why all of the
0: changes? I mean, I wanted for the record, I have not moved Margot Robbie.
3: Uh, so this is
0: a question for other members of the team that have done so, because it is
3: not me. <laughs> okay, I will, I will, I will explain my reasoning. And this came about when Michelle Williams moved from supporting to lead to. <laughs> (laughs) fraudulently because i know that uh zoe rose bryant has either she's read the screenplay i think or knows people who have seen test screenings or something she knows a lot about babylon and i asked her i'm like well is margot robbie actually lead or could she fraud into supporting and she said that she believed that she could and based on what the story of the film is, that Diego Calva is really—it's really about his character, and everyone else sort of orbits around him. And Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt have large supporting roles, essentially. So that was my thinking: was that like, well, she could have been a surefire thing in actress, but. Now supporting actress is wide open. I think it might make sense if you could put her into supporting put her there because they love you know lead performances in the supporting category.
1: (laughs) Same reasoning. That's my reasoning.
3: Okay. I
0: I am just of the opinion that I am not moving Margot Robbie until I hear confirmation that she is going there. And (laughs) I I just don't feel like the movie is going to be sold on her star power and therefore it just seems Mm -hmm. like you would put her in lead. If anything, I actually think it would be more likely for Diego Calva to get frauded into supporting just because he's not a big name, even though Mm -hmm. it sounds like he's the main character, just the fact that you have Robbie and Pitt and it's sort of this unknown, more unknown actor leading it, that he would get frauded into the supporting character uh, category before her. So it's a possibility that she could go there, but I am not making that move until I get confirmation from the studio that that is what they
3: are doing. Well, to be fair, we haven't gotten... Confirmation that she will be campaign lead either. So
0: sure, but <laughs> when she is like above the title, I know. I, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. You—that is the assumption that I am going with until I am proven other, uh, until I am told otherwise.
1: David Mitchell Baker is the Batman being underestimated as a best picture nominee. It's got chances for nominations in makeup, visual effects, cinematography, score, production design. Plus, with adapted being so thin, that could also have a spot. Add it up, and it's a nomination package akin to Nightmare Alley. Okay, yeah,
3: no, no. <laughs> no, sorry, no. <laughs> I don't doubt. I
1: don't. I, I don't doubt the candidacy for all of the nominations that are mentioned here. For the record, but I don't think Best Picture is on the table, even if it got
3: like, five nominations. Yeah, I mean, yeah, similar nomination haul to Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley was also a last-minute drop, so it was the shiny new thing that everyone was excited about. Batman has been out since March?
1: And I think it's very, very clear that Elvis is going to be Warner Brothers' main push for Best Picture over the Batman. Yep. Uh, and let's not forget, too, Nightmare Alley also benefited from being a Fox Searchlight movie at the end of the day. Or, sorry, Searchlight. My apologies.
0: Yeah. And... <laughs> I just think people really like Guillermo
2: del Toro.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: At
2: the end of the yep. day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also like this year already potentially has a bunch of blockbusters that are going to be the shiny object for Kevin yep. voters. Mm-hmm. They got Top Gun Maverick, maybe Avatar, maybe Black Panther, both of which will come out and be much more fresh in their memories. Uh, maybe even Elvis, if you want to do another like just big crowd pleaser box. film. I don't see how there's in, you know, unless they just summarily reject all of the traditional contenders. I don't see a world where it gets in over some of those when Top Gun is taking yeah. its slot, for example.
1: Film and Sports 21 with Daniel Ted Weiler's acclaim for Till, who among the perceived frontrunners for best actress is most likely to miss on a nomination at this point? So I guess the question is who do you guys have in number 6.
2: You know, it's it's hard to say because they clearly love Olivia <laughs> Coleman, but the buzz on Empire of Light really just I wouldn't say crashed and burned, but it's tanked. Yeah. 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 So if she gets in, it feels like she'll get in just on love for Olivia Coleman alone and there does seem to be a lot of that, but you know, maybe, maybe she misses since other than Deacons and maybe score, I don't really know where else that film's going to factor into the race.
1: I don't disagree with anything that you said here. I have her at number five, uh, but the person I have missing for now is Naomi Aki for I Want to Dance with Somebody. Uh, but I could see those two, her and Coleman, flip-flopping and her getting in and Coleman
3: missing. Currently, my number six, as much as it pains me, is Michelle
0: Yeoh.
1: Ooh.
2: Oh, no. Dan. Hello.
0: God. I'm I'm right there with you. Oh no!
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, damn it! I don't like this.
0: Let's move really, on to the next not question. It's a prediction that we are making. <laughs> yeah. and we're not happy. Yeah. Now, but <laughs> no. <laughs> it it is looking really competitive in Best Actress right now, and there's only five mm-hmm. slots, and you got to make a tough decision. And and right now, I think that Michelle Yeoh is the one who's just going to miss out. So yeah, I hope I'm I,
3: wrong. And, and I get undervaluing, like, putting Naomi Aki in 6-2, but, like, <laughs> bet against Anthony McCartin at this point at your I, peril. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Why Koopa? Does RRR still have a chance in any of the above the line or below the line categories? Song. Uh, visual effects, I would say.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sound. Yeah, it's a contender for sure. I think the the problem for that movie now is just it still needs to have people rally behind it because it's yep. not going to have the international feature momentum. But if any movie could do it, it could defy those odds, I would bet on
3: RRR to be the one. Yeah, I mean, keep holding, keep inviting Academy members to these screenings. You know, see how well the movie plays. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's...
1: I had a dream the other day and I woke up and I was like, God damn it. It was a dream. But the dream was RRR managed to get a best picture nomination.
3: (laughs) Honestly, that would be just the highlight of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Especially if like, cause seriously, like SS Rajamouli should be in the director conversation.
0: Like, can you imagine if he was our <laughs> international? die again, like I'd be so fucking happy.
1: You know what? I can imagine it, actually. Yeah. I do think there there is still a world.
0: It, it is a possibility. It would just be so hilarious if he ends up being the selection out of that group that's, this year. That would be so great. <laughs> It'd be so
1: awesome. <laughs> S2S movie reviews. If you could guarantee one nomination in any category right now, what would it be?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. Perfect. Love it. Uh, I would say Daniel Deadweiler for Till. I am worried about the lack of name recognition. Uh, so I, I wanted I would want to just
0: guarantee her that slot. Hmm. You know what? I'm I'm going to go below the line, actually. And I'm going to say nope for original score. It's a good one.
3: You know what? This is going to be a weird one. But bear with me on this. Alexander Skarsgård for The Northmen.
2: Oh, wow. That
1: would okay. be awesome. Okay.
3: <laughs> I think I broke Matt.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not against it, but just it came out of nowhere.
3: <laughs> I loved that movie a lot.
1: All right. And then let's end this week here with a question from Isaiah Washington. One's got to go.
2: Oh, God damn it.
1: Best Director Oscar wins. (sighs) Mm. Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker. Peter Jackson, The Return of the King. Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. And Martin Scorsese for The Departed.
3: Oh, wait, no, that is tough.
2: Isaiah, that was psychotic. Why would you do this to us?
3: (laughs) Matt didn't have to ask us the question. (laughs) Um. Oh, fuck. Okay.
2: I am going to say Scorsese. Yeah. Okay, I will too.
3: <laughs> you
2: know what, if we take that away, he Scorsese wins elsewhere. He, you know, like I, I it has It'll to happen have. later. Yeah. Yeah, like he and it, it's not it's his, it was historic in the sense that he But, but
1: wait, won. wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Like, sorry, just play chess with yourself for a minute here. If you take away Scorsese's win for The Departed and give it to somebody else that year. What is the next year that he gets rewarded? Is it for The Irishman? Because if so, now you just took no, away Bong Joon Hugo. Ho's.
2: I think he he, he like he, like he did at the Golden Globes in 2011. He wins director for Hugo, and it lines up.
1: Yeah. Okay, all right, that I can live with. <laughs>
2: yeah, and honestly,
0: yeah. even if he never wins, then okay. I mean, there's plenty of great directors that never won, and I just think yep. like the other three just have a lot They're more so significance. Historic. Yeah, that that's the thing. Like, we love that Scorsese has an Oscar, but it's really just tied to this one guy winning this Oscar. And th- th- we were invested in that, where I feel like, you know, yeah, Bigelow, it's the first woman to do it. And with Lord of the Rings, it's that entire achievement of that series. And, like, Parasite it is historic. And that win is was so unbelievable on the night. So, like, I, I have too much attachment to yeah. what those other wins mean. And for Scorsese, it's like it was just nice that it finally happened. But it's not an incredible moment that I think rivals the other three for me. Although,
1: could you imagine Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg
0: standing up there and giving it to Steven Frears? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they clearly knew that he was winning, which I'm a little against. But yeah, that would have been so funny for them to give it to somebody else. And it wasn't Scorsese. Oh,
1: man. This hurts me, but I I do agree. Um, He he is literally my god of cinema, Martin Scorsese, and I worship at the church, the altar, all of it. But the reasoning here makes a little bit too much sense just on a historic level. And I can justify in my mind him winning later for Hugo because... Michelle's win for director for the artist has not aged well and considering all the tech nominations that Hugo uh, tech wins that Hugo was able to get the director win to go along with that would also make sense and then you could still have the artist still win best picture when all is said and done so yeah Uh, I'm I'm okay with this it hurts but I'm okay
0: Yeah, I, I think that is
3: the correct answer.
1: All right, well, that'll do it here for Episode 313 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Dan Baer, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet.
3: Find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film.
1: Josh Parham. I am on Twitter at JR Parham. And Will Mavity.
2: Find me on Twitter at MavericksMovies.
1: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we will see you all next time!